You know, there's something about children that bring uh, us great joy, isn't there? Uh, I love in the Gospels when, you know, Jesus was constantly provoking the religious leaders. And, you know, the children are coming after Jesus and the, the religious leaders are pushing them away. And Jesus says, no, let, let, the, kids, let the kids come to me. Seven years ago, the Lord blessed us with the birth of our first child, and it took laughter, happiness, and joy to like a whole nother level, right? As well as like lack of sleep, lack of patience, and lack of just, it's, it's such a wonderful, kids are such a wonderful blessing from God, and they bring us so much joy. Last week, we talked about the subject of peace. Today, we'll be talking about joy, and the next week will be a little bit of a different uh, day, but we're going to be talking about the subject of hope, and I'll share for a few minutes next week, and then we're going to pray together as a congregation. I think it's just a wonderful way to wrap up our year together. So we'll have worship, and I'll share, and then there'll be some interactive uh, prayer time as well, but we'll address the, the subject of hope. Over 650 times, you'll find the words gladness, rejoicing, delight, joy in the scriptures. We See, our Christmas carols are, are filled with the words joy, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Joy to the world, the, the Lord has come. It's just been a song that over and over and over I've been playing in my home and in my office the last several weeks. I, I especially appreciate the, the, the new version of the song that ends with, it says, unspeakable joy and overflowing where no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy, rises in my soul, never lets me go. And uh, we'll conclude our Christmas Eve service with that. Our Christmas Eve service, there'll be an element as well for the children that we've been preparing for, and uh, it's just going to be an exciting day. We see that joy is kind of infused all throughout the Christmas story, whether it's Zechariah, where the, where the angel said in Luke chapter 1, you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. We see in, in Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist leaped for joy, the Bible says, in his mother's womb. In Luke chapter 1, we see Mary is rejoicing in God, her Savior. The Bible says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In Luke chapter 2, the angel proclaimed to the shepherds glad tidings of great joy. And so Christmas is, is filled with Joy. It's filled with peace like we talked about this morning because the reality is it's filled with Jesus himself. And so what we're doing in each one of these uh, messages, these three weeks, is we're talking about the subject of hope, joy, and peace. And then we're drawing our thoughts from the words of Jesus. What did Jesus have to say about joy? Would you stand this morning and turn to John chapter 15? I'm going to read from the New Living Translation of the Bible. So it's John 15. Verses 9 through 14, the New Living Translation. You'll see it on the screen this morning. It says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Verse 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Verse 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Say his joy. Other translations uh, will say that your joy is made complete. It says, yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that your word would speak for itself. Lord, I pray that you would challenge, that you would encourage, that you would equip each person that's here today. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with joy this Christmas season. Jesus, I pray that you would be front and center of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's important that we don't confuse uh, the two words, happiness and joy. Many people will, will confuse those two specific words, and, and they're very different. The word happiness is, is based on the different things that are happening around you. What makes me happy might not necessarily be true for you. Husbands, a goal for you. Wives, a goal for you is, is to find what fulfills your wife, what makes your husband or wife happy in the relationship. And the five love languages say that it's words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, active service, and quality time. And the idea is that when you feed a relationship, when one person's happy and the relationship's being fed and the other person's feeding into the relationship, it's producing happiness and joy. And when you're feeding both of you into the relationship, uh, wonderful things are, are happening. You, you don't feel like you're constantly you know, depositing more than you're withdrawing into the relationship. Now, how many of you have purchased what you thought was the perfect gift for a spouse or for a child only to find that it was just a miserable failure? Did you ever do it before? I mean, you saw it at the store and you're like, oh, the f- smile on her face the moment she opens this. The joy or the happiness that this is going to bring to my husband. You find the perfect gift. The idea is you can picture your spouse. They're so happy when they open this gift. And so, so husbands, you find that gift and you wrap it and your, your wife opens it Christmas Eve in front of you. And, and she sees this blender <laughs> box. And in her mind, she's thinking this is going to be some gift if he had to hide it in a blender box. And so she takes the box and she begins to, you know, peel the tape off. And guys, you're thinking in your mind, why is she even opening it? And in her mind, she's like, this is a good one, you know? And so she, she pulls the styrofoam only to reveal a blender. And you're thinking, you know, there's going to be a lot of happiness, this big smile on her face. She's thinking, I thought you knew me. <laughs> You know, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say, you know? I've been there before. You think you've got the perfect gift. You think, you know, you're going to see the smile, that, that happiness, and all of a sudden you miserably, you miserably fail. Happiness is circumstantial. It's based, it's, uh, it's conditional. It kind of wavers from here uh, to there. But joy is, is very different. We receive joy from, from the same source, that is God. Joy is not a response from the things that are taking place around us. It's not circumstantial. But joy is, I believe, the anticipation of God, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of challenges and circumstances in our lives. And you've got to know the difference between the two, because if you make happiness your your joy, the reality is the Bible never promises a life that's free from, from you know, happy, that you'll always be, be happy, but it does promise joy. 
And if you really think about it for a minute, people that are outside of relationship with Jesus, they're in this kind of endless pursuit to try to find true joy. And they're successful to some degree in finding happiness, but they're left unfulfilled. Why is it that hundreds of millions of dollars are spent every year as families will, will travel to Disneyland or, or hundreds of millions of dollars or billions are spent as people travel to you know, exquisite destinations around the world? What are they seeking after? What are they desiring? What would cause someone to work a, a full-time job and then a second part-time job and then work on the side? They're constantly pursuing a, a greater standard of living, a bigger house, nicer car, second home, isn't it the cry from from the soul for true joy? I believe a lot of people that they're they're desiring joy, but really they're they're searching for happiness. It's as if you see that their heart is looking for happiness and yet their soul is longing for joy that can only be fulfilled in a relationship with Jesus. Happiness only kind of scratches the surface, but joy comes from deep within our soul. And in Jesus, you and I are complete in him. One of the things that I've been thinking about the last several weeks, when it comes to the idea of peace, hope, and joy, is that you will only experience true peace. You will only experience true true joy and, and hope on the other side of the cross. People outside relationship with Jesus, they're, they're searching for peace, they're, they're searching for joy, they're, they're searching for hope outside of Jesus, and the reality is Jesus doesn't give it to us outside of himself. It's not found in possessions, pleasure, in worldly positions. It's not even found in a relationship with a spouse or your family. Outside of Jesus, you and I are incomplete. And that when we come to Christ, you and I are, are complete, we're made whole in him. And joy is, is a byproduct of, of that relationship. Happiness is caused by the things that are happening around us. Circumstances will mar or taint that happiness in your life. But joy flows through the dark seasons. Joy flows through the night. Joy flows through seasons of persecution or, or opposition because it's this unding reservoir, source, or fountain of joy that's within your soul. Rick Warren in his book, uh, Cho- uh, Choose Joy Because Happiness Isn't Enough, says this. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all of the details in my, of my life and the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. And so we see in in John chapter 15 that that Jesus gives us this perpetual joy as we walk in, in obedience, that it comes as you and I abide in him, as we remain in him. Jesus embodies joy. I want to read something to you for a minute. The applause of heaven, the author writes this, speaking of Jesus, no man had more reason to be miserable than this one, yet no man who was more joyful. His first home was a palace, servants at his fingertips. The snap of his fingers changed the course of history. His name was known and loved. He had everything, wealth, power, respect, and then nothing. Students of the event still ponder it, 
Historians stumble as they attempt to explain it. How could a king lose everything in one instant? In one moment, royalty, the next, poverty. His bed became at best a borrowed pallet, usually the hard earth. He never owned even the most basic mode of transportation and was dependent on handouts for his income. He was sometimes so hungry that he would eat raw grain or pick fruit off of a tree. He knew what it was like to be rained on, to be cold. He knew what it was like to not own a home. His palace grounds had been spotless, now exposed to filth. He had never known disease, but was surrounded now by illness. In his kingdom, he had been revered. Now he's ridiculed. His neighbors trying to lynch him. Some called him a lunatic. His family tried to confine him to their home. Those who didn't ridicule him tried to use him. They wanted favors. They wanted tricks. He was a, like a novelty. They wanted to be seen with him until being with him was out of fashion. Then they wanted to kill him. They accused him of a crime he never committed. Witnesses hired to lie. A jury rigged. No lawyer assigned to his defense. A judge swayed by politics handed down the death penalty. They killed him. He left penniless, buried in a borrowed grave, funeral financed by compassionate friends. Though he once had everything, he died with nothing. He should have been miserable, bitter, a pot of boiling anger, but he wasn't. He was joyful. Sourpusses, it says, they don't attract a following, yet people followed him everywhere he went. Children avoid sore heads, or sore heads, yet children scampered after this man. Crowds don't gather to listen to the woeful, yet crowds clamored to hear him. Why? He was joyful. He was joyful when he was poor. He was joyful when he was abandoned. He was joyful when he was betrayed. He was joyful even when he hung on a tool of torture, hands pierced with six-inch Roman spikes. Jesus embodied joy. It was the kind of joy that refused to bend in the wind of hard times. It was the joy that held its ground against pain. It was joy whose roots extended deep within the bedrock of eternity. Jesus embodied joy. And as you come to John chapter 15, Jesus is now looking his disciples in the eyes. And he's saying that they can experience his joy. It's generally agreed that John chapter 15 and 16 was close to the end of the Last Supper, the night that that Jesus was about to be betrayed. And he looks his disciples in the eye and he's he's sharing these, these pertinent details with them. It's basically a farewell sermon. He's about to leave. And he gets done talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He talks about abiding in him. He talks about, as we we shared last fall, that he is the vine, that you and I are the branches. And as he's talking about this, before he goes back into the role of, of the Holy Spirit in their lives, he begins to talk about joy. That the disciples, when they fail to abide in him, when they fail to find fulfillment in him and him alone and fail to keep his commandments, he's saying they won't experience and walk in the fullness of joy that he promised. You see kind of these three quick segments, and I want to share a couple points with you. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 9, you see Jesus' request. He says, I've I love you even as the Father loved me. He says, remain in my love. 
He says, stay in my love. Stay ever so close to my love. Don't leave me. Don't step aside, but remain in my love. After the request, we see this natural reaction that should take place in the life of someone that remains in the love of Jesus. The reaction, he says that you and I will be filled with my joy or his joy. This joy is complete joy in him and him alone. And then he says it's not only filled, but it'll, it'll overflow from your life. And the natural response to remaining in him, the natural response to abiding in him is that this complete joy that's within you that overflows now gives you and I the ability to do what he says in verse 12, this commandment, love each other the same way that I've loved you. The word joy that we read in John chapter 15 is the same word that we see in Matthew chapter 2 verse 10 where they saw the star and they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It's the same word in Luke chapter 2. The angel said to them, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy. Christmas should be filled with joy, but it really should be filled, your life should be filled with the joy of Jesus. And there are three things that I want to share out of this portion of scripture for you and I to apply to our lives. And the first one is this. It's found in verse 11. He says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. And, and this joy is a strength. That joy in the life of the believer has strengthening ability. Chances are you've heard somebody say there's, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a choice but joy is an attitude or perspective. You heard something like that? Happiness is a choice, but joy is like a perspective or joy is an attitude. And I would agree to some extent, but I believe as a Christian, joy is, is much deeper. The roots are, are very, very deeper. It's more than just, you know, an attitude about something. Because you and I need to continually discover that things like peace, things like Hope, things like joy are part of God's character. They're part of, of his nature. The word in the original language, in the Greek language, means to, to make full or to, to fill up to the top, to cause to abound, to render full, complete to the brim. And the idea is that when you and I surrender more and more of our lives to Jesus, that when we're filled with him, we are filled with his nature. We're filled with his character. And joy is who Jesus really is all about. It's interesting that he doesn't say that, that you know, it's going to be my joy concerning me or joy that's derived from me. Jesus isn't saying that it's like this overarching thing you know, above you. It's not like God gives us joy unattached from who he is. It's not like, you know, if, if it was winter, it's not like he just kind of picks up this snowball and from a distance he throws a little peace your way or he throws a little joy or he throws a little hope your way. It's not disconnected from his nature. The idea is that we surrender to him to such a degree that we're filled to overflowing with peace hope, and joy. It's part of God's nature. And we see even in, in the Gospels, we see in Matthew chapter 3, in response to Jesus being obedient to the will of the Father in baptism, the Bible says that, you know, God looks down from heaven, he says, this is my loved son, and it brings me great joy. It's part of his nature. 
And as a Christian, this complete and overflowing joy is is really uh, something that's promised to you. It's something that's expected of you and I. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the evidence of the Spirit of God that's working in our lives. And this has strengthening power. When you think about it, in life, we typically fill things that we want to, to strengthen, right? How many of you have been to the, to the dentist? Yeah, I hate it too. And you have the decay in your tooth. You go in for a root canal and they, they drill out the decay. They do whatever else they do that smells really bad. And then they begin to fill it with something that has strengthening power. Several of us men are going to be in Mexico in two weeks. And hopefully it'll be snowing here and we'll be in shorts and t-shirts. But that's not my problem because you chose not to go. But you can catch us on Facebook. So we'll be in Chetamal, Mexico. And we'll be building this residential uh, Bible college, one of the buildings there. And the idea is when we get there, we've seen uh, pictures, the foundation's already laid. Uh, many of you gave, genero- uh, gave generously, and uh, I think we sent maybe $6,200 that was uh, then matched two times, so we, I don't have a calculator, but 6,200 times, you know, we sent some money and the purchase blocks and, and things like that. And when we go, we're, we're like ready to roll. And what we're going to do is we're going to begin laying block, and we're going to build these walls once it gets up so high, they'll set up the scaffolding, we'll continue uh, to build. And what happens once the walls are, are, are built, I know it's kind of scary that I do this kind of thing. I told somebody, you know, it's eight to ten days of manual labor, which is like the equivalent of two years of my life. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, it's a good time. So we're going to build these, these huge, you know, walls, and and then there's this mixture of it's not mortar. Mortar is what you, you use between the box, but it's this mixture of concrete that you begin trucking across, you know, uh, the, the floor, and you, you carry it up, and you dump this mortar down into the columns. You dump, you dump it across the headers of, of the windows and the door frames, and it forms what they call, uh, it's like, they're called bond beams. And the idea is you erect this building and now you fill it with something that has the ability to strengthen that building in the midst of storms, in the midst of bad weather and so forth. If you didn't fill it with something, then it would be, it would be uh, potentially dangerous if a storm came. It, it wouldn't be able to support itself. And the idea is that with Jesus, when, he, when, when you surrender to him more and more, the Bible's talking about this joy that it has the ability to strengthen us in our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? That this joy has the ability to strengthen you and I, that it can be the Christmas season and, and we can be singing. You ever been there before? You know, we're singing the words joy to the world, but your heart's like singing a totally different song. And it's in those times we say, Jesus, I need more of you. You've promised me joy. And in that joy, it has the ability to strengthen us. The Bible says in the midst of loss, Nehemiah chapter 10, or 8, verse 10, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is what? It's your strength. Hebrews 12, 
verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him he endured. So it's joy in the midst of loss. It strengthens us during that, those times. It strengthens us in, in the, the middle, in the, in the seasons of difficulty in our lives. Jesus experienced joy, but coupled with that joy was suffering. Coupled with that joy was persecution, and yet we see that that joy strengthened him during those times. It's a promise to you and I as a believer. Secondly, joy is a sign. Continuing on in verse 11, yes, your joy will overflow. Every person that's in this room today, your life is overflowing with something. Your marriage, in the context of your marriage and in your home, your life is overflowing with something. And the idea is that when we surrender to Jesus and we pursue him more and more, the idea is that our lives should naturally spill over that which is within us. Some of you work with a coworker that their life is just constantly overflowing negativity. Their life is constantly overflowing criticism. They're, they're the one that's always looking at the glass half empty. And the Bible's saying that a life that's surrendered to Jesus, a life that's filled with him, not only should the peace of God overflow from us, but from this deep abiding sense of God's presence, that joy is overflowing from our lives. That even in the midst of the, the, the busyness, even in the midst of the chaos and the, the rhythm of Christmas season, you and I can still be filled with overflowing joy because it's not circumstantial. It's not based on whether or not you get the right gift for your wife. It's not based on whether or not your child even, even smiles after they open what you thought was the perfect gift. The idea is that Jesus overflows with joy from within us. And it should impact those that are around you. Here's one of the thoughts that I had when I read this. When was the last time someone came up to me? When was the last time someone came up to you and said, you know what, there's just something about you. Your attitude, the way you're always smiling, your disposition. What's different about you because you're overflowing something that's very unique? It should be a sign. Joy should be a sign to those that are not in right relationship with Jesus, an unbeliever. Because this joy comes from within, and you can trace it all the way back. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. You can trace this all the way back to the book of, of Genesis and the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, you find that God created the Garden of Eden. He created Adam and Eve. And the idea is it's this place of perfection. It's this place that's filled with God's nature. It's this place that's filled with, with his presence. Adam and Eve are filled to overflowing with great joy, great peace, great hope. But then we see the, the fall of man in the book of Genesis where they went against God's standard. They went against the context of his blessings. And, and now things are cursed. And we read in Genesis chapter 3 verse 10 the response to sin. It said, I heard you walking in the garden so I hid and I was afraid because I was naked. 
And so all the way back in the book of Genesis, this place of perfection, this place of complete joy has now been ruined. It's been marred by sin, by disobedience. And now Adam and Eve, they're hiding. They're in fear. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes. Jesus comes to restore back that perfect restored relationship with him. So that through him, you and I can go back and have perfected peace. That through him, you and I can have hope. Through him, you and I can have what your translations say, complete joy. Sweeter and deeper, I believe, than it has ever been. A life that's in right relationship with God, restored relationship with God, should be overflowing with this type of hope joy and peace and it's a sign to the unbelievers even that God is good in the midst of difficulties can I tell you that there's a lot of people from the outside looking in outside relationship with Jesus looking in and they're trying to find out how real and authentic your relationship with God is anybody can have hope Anybody can have peace. Anybody can have joy when there's money in the bank, when you've got a good job, your marriage is going fine, all of your needs are met, and you know the, those practical things are, are in place. But how's it going when you're struggling? How's it going when you're hurting? How's it going when you're struggling with sickness? Because the idea is that joy and peace and hope is a sign to them that God is good even in the midst of trials and difficulties that we face in this life. We should have joy in salvation. Psalm 51 says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Joy in service as we serve Jesus. In Acts chapter 20, it says, so that you might finish my course, with, so that I might finish my course with joy. Joy in his presence. The Bible says in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. We should have joy In relation to God's word, your word in Jeremiah 15 was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Joy in victory, Nehemiah. Rejoice and be, rejoice with great joy and joy in suffering, Acts chapter 5. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. Joy from within has strengthening ability. Joy is a sign to the unbeliever. And then finally, I asked this question last week about peace, and I want to ask it again. When was the last time you looked at joy as something that was supernatural? When was the last time that you looked at your life and said, I thank Jesus for supernatural joy in my life? Because I believe that it is to be supernatural. So right after Jesus begins talking about being filled with joy, in essence, being filled with him to the degree that it's overflowing. In verse 12, he says this. This is my command. Love each other in the same way. Say same way. In the same way that I loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. Worship team, would you guys come? Begin to play in a minute. So right after he gets done talking about this, he says, you know what? I want you to love other people to the same extent that I loved you. Well, what does that look like? 
sacrificial love, unconditional love, laying down his needs, his wants, his desires so that he can pick up others' needs, wants, and desires, emptying himself. The Bible says that we're to pick up our cross and follow after him. Are you serious, Zach, that I'm, I'm supposed to love someone to that same degree? I'm supposed to push aside my wants. I'm supposed to push aside my desires and pick up the needs, wants, and the desires of other people. How is that even possible? Well, it's not <laughs> on your own strength. Well, we don't live on our own strength. We live based on his strength in our lives. I don't think there's any confusion here that Jesus says when you surrender more and more and more to me, that I'll strengthen you, that I'll be assigned to others. And the idea is that you walk in, as you walk in obedience, that this perpetual joy is there and it gives you and I the ability to, to love others the same way. It gives you and I the ability to bless those who curse you. You ever have somebody curse you? It gives you the ability to offer forgiveness and to extend grace. And it's no mistake to me that Jesus comes into this world bringing good tidings of great joy. Then in John chapter 16, right before he's arrested, or in John chapter 17, he says this. As he's praying, he says, These things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Would you close your eyes this morning? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your presence that's with us. We thank you for joy in seasons of, of difficulty, even in seasons of struggle. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that this Christmas season is just one more reminder of that empty chair that's going to be around the dinner table this year that person that's missing, Lord, I pray that your joy would strengthen them. For those that are struggling relationally, financially, physically speaking, Jesus, I pray that your joy would strengthen them this Christmas season. Lord, I pray as we represent you, the peace of God, the joy that you give us, being in right relationship, restored to you, Lord, that would be a sign to those that are outside of relationship with you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word today. As you keep your eyes closed this morning, maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And at best, you're pursuing happiness. There's a movie about that several years ago. You're looking for happiness in a relationship, you're looking for that next step in your career, you're looking for this and that, and as you are looking for happiness, you constantly find yourself being left unfulfilled. 
because the reality is that your soul is longing for joy that comes from Jesus. Only Jesus fully satisfies that within us. Maybe today's the day that you want to surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time. Sure, he's not going to promise you a life free from hardship or difficulties, but he will give you his joy that will strengthen you during those times, that will encourage you during those times. And maybe that's you today. And if so, in a minute, we're going to have some leaders that are going to come forward, and I'm going to ask several of them to come forward at this point. You can begin to make your way forward. But if that's you today, would you just raise your hand in a few moments? We're going to have an opportunity for some people to just kind of pray with you along with some others. But if that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? And the leaders will begin to make their way forward. Would you stand with me today? All across the room, just stand today. We're going to open the front in just a moment and uh, intentionally end service a little early today so that we'd have an opportunity to just come forward. For some of you, you're just struggling during this Christmas season. You would like a leader just to gather with you and to pray for you and pray for the peace of God, pray for the joy and hope that he brings. And I'd invite you as we go back into worship this morning. Would you just come forward and receive prayer from one of our leaders? If you're sick in body, we believe that God's a healer. We want to pray for you and believe that he'll do a miracle in your life. And we'll go back into a time of worship for a few moments before we dismiss together. God bless you today. true. 